If you have your Bible with you today, I want to encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 2. If you did not bring a Bible today, there should be a blue Bible uh, in the seat in front of you here in the chapel. And upstairs, there's some Bibles in the back that you can grab. Acts chapter 2, and you'll see the, the page number in those blue Bibles uh, on the screen behind me. I want to encourage you to turn there, and as you do, let me say a word of welcome to you. Uh, my name is David, and I serve as the senior pastor here, and I especially want to welcome you today. If you are brand new, if you're a first-time guest, we're delighted to have you. Maybe you're new to our community, uh, looking for a church home. We're delighted to have the chance to share this worship service with you. If we can bless you in any way, answer any questions you have about the life of our church, we'd love to do that after the service. Here in the chapel and upstairs uh, in the cafe, right outside your worship space, is a connecting point where we have volunteers and staff who will be there to answer your questions. They also have a, a gift that they would love to share with you just to thank you for being our guest today. And for everybody uh, in either venue, I want to draw your attention in your bulletin today to your registration card. We're going to receive our offering after the message, and we'll be receiving those cards at this time. We love people to, to do this. And I want to point out two checkboxes that are on your registration card today. The first is uh, you can register for the Good and Beautiful Conference by just checking that box. Uh, there on your registration card. That's September 11th and 12th. If you've been here in recent weeks, you've heard us talk about the importance of that event, uh, a life-changing opportunity for you. Uh, I'm continuing to pray that we'll have a thousand people there for that event. We're about halfway to that goal and would love for you to be a part of it. Uh, so I'd love for you to be a part of that. The other thing that you'll see is a checkbox to host a small group. And I'm going to talk about that today in the message, but I just want to point that, point that out to you now that there's that, that space that you can do that uh, when, we get to the, when we get to the end of the message today. Uh, we're in the second week of a series we started last week called Revival, and I started by giving you a few definitions for that word. We first talked about revival as an event, and I asked you about a, a particular person who many of you have heard of, the Reverend Billy Graham. Many of you know that name. If you know of Billy Graham, you know of him because in the 50s and 60s, he led revival events all across this nation. That's where his notoriety came from. Uh, Reverend Graham eventually became known as, he was often referred to as America's pastor or president to the pastors, came to a place of great influence in our nation, but it came from those events that he did in the, in the 50s and the 60s. But we also talked about revival as a movement, more than just an event that happens, but a movement that takes place in a people. And we said that you know, when we look at revival, according to this definition, we're really talking about an improvement. We're talking about a, a strengthening in something. And so you could use revival to talk about a strengthening in your marriage or a, or a turn in a positive way in your, your physical health or any other category of your life. But for us, we're talking about revival within the context of the church. And what we said last week is that we are living in a time today when we believe the church is in need of revival. Now, as you hear that, I don't want, I don't want you to go a, 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 the wrong direction here. I don't want you to think that this is the pastor saying, hey, church, we're all messed up and we got to do something about it. I mean, that's obviously not a problem here as people are trying to find a seat every single morning here in the chapel or upstairs in the loft. Rather, we're talking about the church in America. We're talking about the global church, the church all around the world. And we believe that we're at a place where the church is in need of revival. And there's lots of things that we could point to. To, to illustrate that, but my guess is that you feel that, you recognize that, you look at the world around you and you say, yeah, we're at a place where the church is in, is in need of revival. And one of the things I shared with you last week is that our church, the United Methodist Church, actually grew out of a period of revival in the 18th century. 
The movement known as Methodism, of which we are part of, grew out of that time, started in Britain, eventually came to the American colonies. And the reason that I shared that with you is for you to understand that as we look at our time and our day and our place, and we say, well, we're at a place where the church is in need of revival, this is nothing new. This has happened at, at many different times in the history of the church. And so what we're looking at is what does it mean for us to be faithful as those who have come before us have been faithful? What does it look like for us to do in our time what others have so faithfully done in their time as we think about what revival might look like in our world today? And we started last week by talking about where that comes from. Where does revival begin? What's the essential ingredient of revival? And we said the essential ingredient is, is our acknowledgement that we need a better way. Whether we're talking about the church, uh, here locally, the church in our nation, the church around the world, or we're talking about our individual lives, your life and my life. Revival doesn't happen because we just get smarter or we start to work harder. Revival comes from God. Revival comes from God. It comes from the power of God's spirit at work in our life. And so where revival begins is that place where we acknowledge, Lord, we need a better way. We don't need our way. We don't need our wisdom. We don't need our skills, but we need we need your way. And so if you were here last week, we ended the message in all of our services by getting on our knees together. And it was a little uncomfortable for a few moments, but we did it for the sake of expressing our acknowledgement that we need God. That the agent, the primary agent of change is not us or our skill or our wisdom, but it's God's power at work in our life. And we want to acknowledge that and say, God, do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. That's where revival begins. It begins when we pray a very dangerous prayer. When we say, God, we want you to change the world. And we want that change to begin with us. God, begin that change in me. Now, there's something subtle there that I want to lift to your attention as we transition in the second week of, of this message. When we think about change in your life, there's really two different levels of change. There's change that happens in me and in you, and there's change that happens around us. Uh, are you with me? There's change that happens in our personal life, and there's change that happens in the world around us. And what I want us to recognize today is that we all sort of have this natural human tendency to assume that world change precedes personal change. That if the circumstances around me were to change, it would then make it available for me to experience a change. Let me just give you a few illustrations of that. Let's imagine that you have found yourself at a place in your work life. Now, there's probably only about two or three people here today who can relate to this. But just for those two or three people, you found yourself at a place in your work life where you're a little bit frustrated with your job. Now, again, I know it's, it's really hard for some of you to, to, to connect with, but you're frustrated with your job. You've gotten to the point where you're so frustrated with your job that when you get in the car every single day to head to work, it just floods back into your mind and into your heart. You're starting to think about all the things that you're just not happy with. You're thinking about that relationship with a coworker, with your boss that's not going the way that you want it to. You're thinking about that new thing that your boss is doing that you don't like, what, whatever it might be, but you just start churning before you even get to work. And because you're a human being, I'm assuming most of you are, because you're a human being, you have this natural tendency to, to really obsess over those external circumstances and those external details. And you begin to think that, well, if the things around me would change, well, then I would certainly feel different about going to work and about my job. I could change. 
And that's just a natural thing that we do. We look at those things around us and we think, well, if this could change, well, then maybe I can change. Or again, let's think about it this way. Let's imagine a significant relationship in your life. And again, probably none of you can relate to this, but you got a significant relationship in your life. It's your marriage. It's a close friend. And it's just not going the way you want it to. I mean, you're just not on the same page. You can't see eye to eye. And the longer that tends to go, that frustration begins to build, the more we begin to just develop this mindset that says, well, if this, just, this, if this other person would just listen to me, I mean, if they would just take a moment and walk in my shoes, if they could just see my perspective, if they could change, then maybe our relationship could, could change. Now, don't elbow anybody next to you, okay? This is not a contact sport in here, all right? Here's what I want you to understand. We all do this. We all do this. Every couple that shows up for marriage counseling, they think they're going there to fix the other person, okay? That's just how it works. We all do this. It's our natural tendency, but here, here's what we have to understand. If we're going to think about revival or change, personal change always precedes world change. Personal change always precedes world change. So if all we do for the next few weeks is we get together and we just, we, we just talk about, wow, the world is just messed up. If we just all get together and say, yeah, you're right, David. I mean, we need a revival because there's just, the world is just messed up. If that's all that we do, then we have wasted our time. That does us no good because personal change always precedes world change. The way in which God changes the world is through the lives of changed people. It's through the lives of changed people. It's people who pray the dangerous prayer. God, would you change the world and would you begin that change in me? And so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at this principle in the scriptures, Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at this lived out in the scriptures. And then I'm just going to ask this question. We're going to talk about this. What does that look like for us today? So if we believe in this, if we together last week, we prayed for revival. If that's what we're seeking uh, among us in, in our world, and we believe that personal change precedes world change, well, then what does that mean for us as we think about our life together as a family of faith and our life individually as we seek to bring change into our world? So Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of the early church. Let me just give you a little bit of history here. Acts is the second volume of a two-part series written by a guy named Luke. You can probably guess what the first volume is. It's the Gospel of Luke. Okay, so Luke wrote that book, and then he wrote Acts. Luke, the Gospel of Luke, is the story of Jesus all the way through his crucifixion and his resurrection. Acts begins uh, with the story of the church, the formation of the church, which was started by the 11 remaining disciples who in the book of Acts are referred to as apostles. The full name for this book is the Acts of the Apostles. So this is the beginning of the early church. This is the transition from the ministry that was led by Jesus to a ministry that was led by the followers of Jesus through the power of God's Spirit at work in their life. That's the transition that's happening between the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And so in the very beginning of the church, in Acts chapter 2, we're going to see that these first followers of Jesus do two things. The first thing that they do is they begin to speak publicly about Jesus. So if you look and just, just look at Acts chapter 2 with me real quick, we're going to look at kind of the structure of this chapter. It begins the first 13 verses about the Holy Spirit coming on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost would have been a little less than two months 
following the crucifixion of Jesus. So that gives you a time frame there. And then if you look from verse 14 to verse 41, what you have there is Peter the apostle standing up in Jerusalem and declaring the good news about Jesus. He is declaring Jesus as the one who was crucified and the one who has now been resurrected, the one who claimed to be the Son of God, and because he has been resurrected from the dead, the one who has proved that he was the Son of God. That's the first thing that, that, that we see the other church doing, is they begin to publicly speak about Jesus. And if you look at verse 41, at the end of this sermon, this is what happens. It says that 3,000 people were added to their number that day. So, now we've had some pretty good church services around here over the last several years, but we've never had one like this. If you have any ideas on how we could do this, just let me know. But 3,000 people joined the church that day, okay? It was a big day because the church did the first thing that they had to do, which was stand up and publicly profess Jesus has been crucified and Jesus has been resurrected. But then they do the second thing, and the second thing is less public. It's more of a private thing that only those within the church see, but it is just as important. Okay, this is what I want you to hear. It is just as important as the public proclamation about Jesus. Look at what happens in verse 42. It says this, they, referring to these first followers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the, by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and their possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the first thing that they do is they stand up. Peter stands up and he publicly proclaims about Jesus. Thousands of people join this new movement. But the second thing that they do after they speak about Jesus, they begin to live like Jesus. They begin to live like Jesus had taught them to live. It is the less public portion of their response to the life of Jesus, but equally important. It was their personal change that led to world change. It was their personal commitment to this crucified and resurrected Savior that said, we're now going to live differently among one another. We're going to share our life together in community. We're going to make sure that everyone has what they need to take care of themselves. We're going to gather our possessions, our, our wealth to take care of this, this new community that is forming because we not only want to speak about Jesus, we also want to live like Jesus. And the world was changed, not just because somebody stand, stood up and said, hey, Jesus was, Jesus was crucified and Jesus was resurrected, but because of a group of people began to live like Jesus had taught them to live. And we're here today because of this, because they publicly professed, but also because they personally committed to living their life like Jesus had called them to live. That's why we're here, because personal change always precedes world change. It does no good just to sit, sit at home and watch the TV and say, wow, the world is just messed up. <laughs> because God always brings change in the world through the lives of people who have experienced that same transformation. So what about us? What about us? 
What about you and I living in our time, in our day, as we think about our life together? First Methodist Mansfield, in this community, 2015, what does that mean for us? If we believe in revival, if we're going to pray for revival, what kind of personal change does God want to bring into our lives so that he can then bring that into our life together? As I was uh, preparing uh, for this week's message, I did something I almost never do. I was sitting there uh, in my office, and I just found my mind drawn back to a series that I share with you last May. It was right after Easter. Is a series that we called Campfire. Some of you may have been here for that series. The series was all about community and how we live our life uh, in community with one another. And I say that I never do this because I very, very rarely, if ever, go back to sermons that I've preached to you before. I mean, I just kind of have this idea that a sermon is a living thing. It's shared with you, and once I do that, it belongs to you. You do with it what you're going to do with it. I mean, I don't, I don't go home and go, you know, fret over that because it belongs to you at that point, and I'm on to the next one. You know, that's just kind of how I work. I don't pull things out of the file and say, well, maybe they weren't paying attention last year. I'll just do this one again. <laughs> Life would be so much easier if I could, but... I trust that at least a few of you are listening, so I can't do that. But I found myself drawn back to that and what, what I had shared with you in that series. And I didn't really know why. I'm going to tell you why at the end of this. But uh, again, Campfire was all about community. And, and here's some of the things that I share with you in that series. Kind of the thesis was that God has created us and he's shaped us for community, to live in healthy and life-giving relationships with one another. And, and here was the quote that was really the thesis for the series. It was the thing that guided us through the entire four weeks that prolonged isolation degrades our spiritual health and limits our capacity for personal growth. Prolonged isolation degrades our spiritual health and limits our capacity for personal growth. And here's what that means. If you do not have healthy and life-giving relationships in your life, then there's a cap on what God can do in your life. There's a ceiling that you cannot go past in terms of what God wants to do and how God wants to change and, and mold your life. There's a dream that cannot come true because every significant change in our life is anchored in at least one significant relationship. That's one of the primary ways that God uses to bless and nurture us and grow us in our life is the relationships that we have in our life, that we become better versions of ourselves as we learn to live in healthy and life-giving relationship with one another. This is a complete aside, but it's important to say. It's something I say over and over and over again. One of the things that your marriage is supposed to do for you is to make you into a better version of yourself. Now, it might be worth considering how you're doing in that goal, but understand that's part of the goal because as you learn to live in a healthy and life-giving relationship with other people, you become a better version of yourself. That's why forgiveness and grace is one of the primary practices of the Christian faith. As you learn to forgive and to live in relationship with others, you become a better version of yourself. And if that's absent from your life, then there's a cap. There's a ceiling on what God can do in your life if you don't have those relationships in your life. And so in the context of that last message I shared with us, the entire church I preached every service that weekend. We talked about circles and rows. 
And we said that we are a church where, where if you look at the strength of our church, we have a great strength in our rows. And what I meant by that was we have a lot of people who come to church, who sit in a row and listen to a pastor speak. And, and hopefully, in the context of that message and worship, blessing is shared and, and, and people are nurtured and things are changed in your life. But, but one of the things that I challenged you with was that the real strength of a church is not how many people sit in a row, but how many people are engaged in a life, uh, in a healthy and a life-giving circle. A small group of people that you are sharing life with, a small group of people who are, exper who are expressing care and nurture for one another, who, who know one another, who are encouraging one another, holding people accountable to the dreams that God has for them in their life. And, and this is how I ended that message. I, I went back, at, this is a direct quote from what I said. Uh, I said, my growing conviction is that if we want the church that has blessed our lives to bless our children and to bless their children, and the next generation of kids, then we're going to have to do a better job in our day and our time at what we are, what, what is at the core of our life, which is making disciples. And that means that for a church like ours that has a tremendous number of people who sit in rows, we're going to have to expand the opportunities that we have for people to participate in a life-changing and a healthy circle. And then I said this, this is great leadership. Are you ready for this? You're going to get blown away. This is how I ended the message. This is the end of the series. We have to do a better job of that. And right now, your pastors, staff, and leadership are trying to figure that out. <laughs> and then I just I got such a kick out of that. I thought, what wow, Dave, what there's the mountain, everybody. I have no idea how to get there. Come follow me. I mean, that was <laughs> that was how I ended the message. I got such a kick out of watching that. But 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 here, here's why I share that with you. Here's what I knew uh, in May of last year that you didn't know yet. I knew that I was six months away from being named your next senior pastor. I, I knew that I was six months away from, from Pastor Mike, who had carried that mantle of leadership for decades very faithfully. I knew that I was six months away from him saying, here you go, kid, it's now yours. And so I was knee-deep, already knee-deep in the process of saying, Lord, what do you want to do in us? What's your dream for this church? Who are we going to be in 10 years and 20 years? And, and what's this? where do you want this church to be when the day comes where this mantle that I am about to receive, where I'm about to pass it on to somebody else? What's your dream, Lord? And what do we need to do? What are those things that are a part of who we are that we need to preserve that, that you would call me to be a champion for for, for this church as, as we cast the vision of what our future is? What are those things that we need to preserve and protect about who we are, those things that we have received from those people who have come before us that we want to continue? And Lord, where are those places where we are weak? Where are those places in our life together where if we don't address these things, we can't be who you want us to be? Not only because of how we've structured our life together, Lord, but also where people are in their life today. Where are those things that we need to address? And at that point, I had this growing conviction. This is, this is what it is. It's about circles. It's about inviting people into a life-giving and healthy circle. But again, I had no idea what that looked like. And I'm convinced that part of what drew me back this week to that 
is that God just wanted me to see, David, you had no idea what it looked like a year ago, but we've been working. And now you have a sense of what that looks like. I want to tell you what it is. If you look in your bulletin on the inside, uh, you're going to see a lot of information under the heading, A Deeper Life with God. Uh, you've been seeing this phrase uh, all around our church. We've had these t-shirts for the last several weeks. A Deeper Life with God is actually the sermon series that, that's going to that's gonna follow the revival series beginning on the weekend of September 19th and 20th. Now, normally, we wouldn't tell you this many weeks in advance about a series that we have coming up, but we're telling you about it because it's a brand new kind of series. Uh, for about the last six months, our staff has been working on a resource for our church. Uh, it's this workbook as well as some video teaching that we have put together so that as we move through this six-week series, you will have the opportunity to gather in a, in a healthy, life-giving circle and to dig deeper into this content that we're going to be sharing with you in our weekend services. Uh, we Again, much time has gone into this. Uh, I've put together about a six to eight minute video teaching for each of those sessions. This workbook guides you through the discussion. We have some testimonies that are going to be shared in, in the course of that video teaching that are from many people in the life of our church. We've put a lot of time and effort into this for this particular purpose, to make it super, super simple for you to gather with a group of friends and grow in your faith. We wanted the bar for leadership in this to not be set at, you have to have a master's degree in the Bible, or you have to have all the answers, but rather you have to have a TV, and you have to be willing to invite your friends to come and share a journey of growing in deeper love with God. And so that's what we're sharing with you today. We're inviting you to think about uh, being a part of this new journey that, that we're going to be a part of, uh, of not only sharing series on the weekends, but inviting you to be a part of uh, a healthy circle, a place where you can gather with people to be known, to be cared for, to share that with one another, and to grow together in your faith. Let me show you this video that highlights a little bit more about what we've been working on. Have you ever found yourself wondering if there is more to the Christian life than you are currently experiencing? Do you ever worry that you are missing out on the best that you believe a life with God has to offer? When you think about love and joy and peace and patience and the other attributes that the scriptures teach us are meant to be cultivated in our lives, do you ever question whether or not you might be missing something? I'm really excited about this new study that we're doing because it's not only a chance to learn about God's love and grace, but it's a chance to put into practice some of that knowledge as we work in community together, but also put some of these disciplines into practice and really gain a deeper life with God. My hope and prayer for you is about more than the six weeks that you will spend together on this journey. It's about your future and sparking a change in you that will be a catalyst for growth for the rest of your days. I'm really excited about the new series, A Deeper Life with God. I know that many people are just craving how to grow into a deeper life with God. And so we're hoping that this series provides not only knowledge about how to grow into a deeper life with God, but also practices that help with that and practices that we can do together. Every significant change that we experience in life is anchored in at least one significant relationship that your personal growth cannot be separated from the significant relationships that have enabled that growth. The goal is a life with God. The goal is living like Jesus, the most generous, gracious, 
and loving person who ever lived. So over the next two weeks, um, here's what we're challenging you to do. The first thing we want everyone to do is to pick up this workbook. Uh, this workbook's 10 bucks. Uh, it has my name on the front, but no dollars go to me. So anybody think I'm saving money for a boat? I don't even like boats. Um, <laughs> this resource is uh, your church's resource. We've paid to produce it, and it covers the cost of, of that production. But it's set up as a workbook. There's, a, again, a video teaching. If you're going to host a group, we'll give you a DVD. It's also available online, so you can do it anywhere you have an internet connection. And then the workbook gives you places to fill in the blanks and questions for you to walk through. It'll also have our daily devotion guide that you usually receive via email. It'll be in this book. So this book's all you need for that, uh, that six-week series. The second thing we're asking you to do over these next two weeks is to think about hosting a group. And I want to kind of walk you through what that looks like. On the back of your bulletin, uh, you're going to see a, a collection of circles. And uh, in a minute, I'm going to give you time just to think about uh, these circles, but they're, they're divided into a couple categories, your family relationships, your close friends, uh, people that you just have a familiarity with. Maybe you live in the same neighborhood, your kids are on the same sport teams, you, you, uh, schools, etc. People that you have fun with, you go to the gym with, you share hobbies or some work friends that, we have, that you have. And what, we're gonna, what I'm going to invite you to do at the conclusion of our time today is just to think about your circles of influence, the people that you have in your life. And here's what we want you to think about as you think about, is God calling me to be a host? Is God calling you to bring these, this group of people together and to say, hey, would you share this, this journey with me? They don't have to be members of our church. They don't even have to have any intention of attending our church. But if there's someone that you share life with that you might invite to be a part of a small group, that you might invite to share life with them, we want to invite you just to write their name down and think about that. And if you're interested in being a host, again, you can just check that on the registration box. Uh, you can drop that in the offering plate in just a moment. Or if you want more information about that, uh, here in the well right outside, um, uh, I'll be at the back, and then Pastor Johnny will be right outside uh, if you're upstairs in the Well Cafe to, to answer any questions that you might have about what it means uh, to be a host. Let me, let me share this with you as well. I asked Mike to write the, the foreword for this book, and I want to read you one sentence uh, that he put in here, and I'll, I'll tell you why in just a moment. Uh, Mike writes, I have known David to have one overwhelming, consistent focus and even obsession, and that is discipleship following Jesus Christ himself and encouraging and teaching others to participate in that same amazing and as the Bible words it, abundant life. I don't know if you've ever had anybody describe something in your life as an obsession. It's usually not a good thing. Have you noticed that? So as he wrote that and he sent that to me and I read it and that sentence jumped out at me and that word jumped out at me because I thought obsession, wow, that's a really, really strong word. You know how sometimes you look in the mirror and you see things that you didn't know were there? Are you with me? Like you just see something about yourself that you didn't know or somebody says something about you and, and you kind of think about it and they go, wow, I guess that is true. Here's what I want you to understand. I am obsessed with this. I'm absolutely obsessed with this. And I think it's important that you know that your senior pastor is not content to lead a church where people come and sit in a row and get recharged so that they can survive the next week. I'm not content with that. That's not church as far as I'm concerned. My goal is not to help you survive. 
my goal is to help you follow Jesus. And I'm convinced that what Jesus said in John 10.10 about the full and abundant life, I'm convinced that promise is true. And so my goal is more than just helping you survive. I want you to thrive. I want you to experience that abundant life. I want you to find yourself at a place in your life when you look back over the last six months or a year or five years and you think, wow, my life has really changed. I used to think that being a loving person or a generous person or a patient person or a person who, who wasn't consumed by worry but was a person of peace, someone who wasn't defined by my addictions but someone who was living in free. I used to think that would never happen in my life, but look at where I am today. I'm experiencing a measure of this abundant life that, that Jesus talked about. I am obsessed with that, and I will badger you about that. <laughs> for as long as I serve as your senior pastor because it's my obsession for my own life and for yours. I'm going to talk more about that next week. But I want you to know that the reason that we're doing this is because we believe that we are living in a time when the church is in need of revival and we believe that personal change always precedes world change. And so together, together, we're praying this prayer. God, would you change the world and would you start that by changing each and every one of us? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pause today to give you thanks for the many people who have come before us, who have shared with us faith and love and grace, who have given to us a gift, Lord, a gift that we treasure and a gift, Lord, that we know comes with responsibility. And so as those who have come before us have been faithful, Lord, we pray today for faithfulness. We pray that we would back up our prayer for revival, Lord, with a willingness to commit ourselves to maybe do something that we've never done before, to invest more in our relationship with you than maybe we have ever invested before, to open ourselves up in a way that may be a little bit scary, a way that we never have before, so that the change that you might bring into our life and into our church, you would use that change to infect the entire world. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.